this is crazy like us and what we are going to be talking about in the next couple of weeks together can be summed up in really one word generosity um, the goal for this series is for you to grow in generosity for me to grow in generosity and for us to grow as a church in generosity and honestly when it comes to that word I realize that it's kind of a loaded term. And so I wanted to start off by making a couple things clear. First off, you guys are a generous group of people. If, if you're new to Colorado Life Church, you need to know these are some amazing folks to be around because they're extremely generous. And I feel like that needs to be said in the outset. Second thing, that one of the other things that needs to be said is while we're talking about generosity, we're going to talk about money. But just so you know, the conversation is, is not centered around money. Honestly, we're going to say, one of the things that I, I was thinking about this week is, is when, uh, while you can be generous with your money, you don't need money to be generous, right? Can we all agree that in order to be a generous person, it goes far beyond just your money. It includes your time. I mean, think of the people that, that you know, like that you say, they're a generous person. They're generous with their time. They're generous with their creativity. They're generous with their, their mental energy. Um, we can be generous with our words, we can be generous with our, our passions, we can be generous with our ears. Honestly, to be generous is a lot more than just our money, right? And, and I was also thinking about it this week, the, the whole Jesus thing. Jesus was an extremely um, generous person, and we're not sure he ever had money. If you know, if you know the New Testament, he was homeless. He lived very simply, and yet everywhere he went, people would flock to him because of how generous he was. The only time that he had money that, that we know of was um, there's the time where, where somebody's like, hey, Jesus, should we pay taxes? And Jesus is like, hey, you got a coin? And, and, and they hand him a coin, and he says, who's on this coin? And they say, Caesar. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. And he hands back the coin. Because like, he, and he lived this generous life almost sans money. So you don't need money to, to have a generous life, to be generous, although we will talk about money. Another thing is while we talk about money, while we encourage you to give, honestly, I'm going to encourage you to give more of your money. I want you to know something. CLC, while we talk about you giving your money, CLC is not going to ask you for your money. I, I want to lay this out in the, in the beginning. This is not a series that's leading up to a big ask. <laughs> I'm not trying to butter you up in the weeks to come because there's this thing we want to ask you for. Honestly, if the idea of a pastor asking for money kind of rubs you wrong, don't worry about it. Don't, don't, give, don't give money to Colorado Life Church, but I'm going to encourage you to give somewhere because I think it's important for us to give our money. Here's, here's another thing that I want us to, to know as well. While we'll be using ideas found in the Bible through this series, you don't need to believe in the Bible to, to benefit from these ideas. Honestly, these are ideas that are so foundational to who we are. They're, they're just good principles for life when it comes to generosity and living generously. That if We're going to look at the Bible, but if you don't believe in the Bible, I still think there's a lot for you here in this series. And here's what I want you to know ultimately, like just to kind of set up this time. Ultimately, through this, as I encourage you towards generosity, everybody look up here. I want you to know I want something for you, not something from you. I, I, I want something for you, 
in this conversation. I, I don't want something from you. And while uh, growing in generosity, like I'll be asking more, like it'll, it'll seem like I'm asking more of you. In the end, I want you to grow towards generosity for this reason right here. Generosity makes sure that we don't miss out on the stuff of life while we are getting stuff in life. While you and I are, yes, we're, we're getting promotions and we're, we're, we're gaining as we go in life and getting stuff in life, I want to make sure that those things don't keep us and keep you from the stuff of life. And I believe the best way to do that is to grow in generosity. So that's what we're going to talk about. But here's the thing. What's challenging about this is generosity is something that we are not naturally like we, it's, it's something that's not natural for us. It's, it's something that doesn't come naturally. In fact, that's why we called this series Crazy Like Us. Is because as we talk about this, as, as we talk about it today and in the weeks to come, there's going to be times where what we're talking about, it just seems crazy. To live that generously seems crazy. And then there, you'll, if you go and attempt to do some of this stuff, as you do it, you'll feel, it'll feel crazy. <laughs> And, and as, as, we, you, as um, we step into this as a church here, honestly, as we become generous as a church, I think it's going to look crazy. And that's why we call the series Crazy Like Us. And it's going to feel crazy because we're not born generous. doesn't mean we can't be generous. I'm not saying you never have been generous. I'm just saying it's not natural for us to be Generous. Our, 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 our bent from the day we are born is something different. Honestly, if you, if you disagree with me that it's hard to be generous, just look at kids. If, if you raise your hand if you're a parent, if you've raised children. Help me out here. What, what is one of the first words that a child learns? Mine. Yeah, you guys, I wondered if you guys would get this or not. Like everybody out there, like, mine. Guess what? For those of you who don't have kids, we don't teach our kids that word. Okay, like for me, my kids, uh, my kids, the, 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 the third, all three of my kids, the third word that they learned was mine. And the first two were either mama or dada. Okay, and that's because Christy and I were in a competition to try to see who was the favorite. So we're constantly like, mama, dad, you know, come on, say it, say it, dada, dada. It's like, mama, dada. And then the next word was mine. Guess what we were not doing? Say mine, <laughs> say mine, no, no, say good, you know, we, we didn't have to teach them. Parents don't teach kids that word. I'm going to kill something here. Um, the parents don't teach those kids those words. But they, they know, they learn them on their own. Honestly, all you have to do is give a child something, anything, for just a couple of minutes and then take it away. And they will scream mine because they think it's theirs. It's like, no, those are my car keys. Those have been mine for since before you were born. But no, no, mine. See, that's in us. And we were the same way when we were babies. We just don't remember it. But here's the thing. That's still going in us. We are born with this idea. Of, it's mine. You can put it this way. I feel like we're all born with what we could call the consumption assumption. And it's this idea that, that everything that comes to me is for me. Whatever comes to me is ultimately for me. That's what the consumption assumption is. Uh, believes and honestly, this isn't something we we took on or said I'm going to believe this. It's just something we naturally have. We have this natural tendency to believe to this to believe the assumption that everything that comes our way is for our consumption. If, if it comes to me, 
It is for me. Now, we grow up, and as we get a, become adults, we know that like we shouldn't always do that. And, but here's the thing. Even now, I can think of the times recently where I'm writing a check or I'm letting somebody else go first. I'm doing something generous, and there's something in the back of me saying that it's just, no, don't do that. That doesn't feel right. Like, like I, you, should, you should, that's yours. That's, you should keep that for yourself, and that's the assumption, consumption at work in me. There's a parable that Jesus told one day of a guy who had a bad case of the consumption assumption. The parable goes like this. This is found in Luke 12, 16. And he, Jesus, told this parable. The ground of a certain man yielded an abundant harvest. Again, you watch this. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. You see the assumption? He has this bumper crop and it's, he assumes like, oh my goodness, this is awesome. This is all for me. This is, the par this is the parable that Jesus is telling. Now, this is, this is perfect because last week when we were together, we talked about a parable. We talked through a parable. And um, I, I, told, I told you that, that Jesus loved talking in parables. He used parables all the time. It was one of his favorite ways to teach and preach because it got people to think. It got people to think on their own. And so when he told a parable, he would make a, a parable is a made-up story that's made up to make a point. One point. You're not supposed to look into a parable and find all the details. Remember we talked about this last time we were together? You're not supposed to look into it and find you know, what the details for life. It's, it's the broad strokes. It's Jesus is trying to make one point with a parable. The other thing that we need to look for is anytime you read a parable, you should look for God. You should look for us or yourself because we're, we're always we're meant to place ourselves into that made-up story. Like, where do I fit into this? And then, of course, you look for the point. So Jesus says this in the parable. He says, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And let's keep reading it. And pay attention to the words I and my and me and that kind of stuff. Then he said, again, this rich guy said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, Self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. He just keeps talking to himself. <laughs> you, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Like, I, I got all this stuff. This is great. This is a perfect scenario. I, I, oh, no, I don't know what to do with all this stuff, so I'll tear down the barns, build new ones. Problem solved. I've got years good of good things ahead of me. And then the next verse says this. God, but God said to him, you fool. And this should really catch us off guard. Honestly, because we're Americans. And honestly, I was thinking about this week. I was trying to find one thing in there, in this parable of this guy that doesn't fit into the American dream. Think about it for a second. Here's a guy who's got opportunity. He bought land. He, he worked hard, obviously, to, to, to plant and sow seed in the land. And, and the, what happened? It, it grew. And it grew well. It was a bumper crop. 
And he's like, oh no, I have too much grain. And honestly, we, we think to ourselves, that's the problem that I'd love to have. That's why I want the promotion. That's why I want this to work, is so that my, my, my barn might be full. Now we don't say it that way. We say it different ways, but we, we want, these, this, is, this, is, this is the best case scenario. This is the American dream. This is a guy who took advantage of an opportunity. He worked hard. He got as much as he could until he could take life easy and eat, drink, and be merry. That's normal, right? That's what, that, that's what we're trying to do. And then God has something to say about it. He comes and he says, you fool. You fool. This is what the consumption assumption, we, this is how, what happens with the consumption assumption. Everything that comes my way is for me. Of course, what, what else am I going to do with all that grain? I worked hard for it. And yet God's response is, you fool. Let's find out why. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, verse 20, your life will be demanded from you, which is kind of harsh. And then he says this, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Again, when we're reading parables, we can read into the details too much. Is it like, is God, is it saying that God's going to punish greedy people? I don't think so. I think what Jesus, I think Jesus had a little bit of time. He's like, I got to end this parable. So this guy, you know, like, whoop, he's going to go. And honestly, it almost didn't matter. Like this, he says, this night, your life will be demanded from you. And it doesn't really matter in this scenario. It doesn't really matter if that night is tonight or if it's 20 years from now. Jesus is trying to make a point. He's trying to make a point that life is short and that every, everyone comes at some point in time in life. Each of us is going to come face to face with the reality that we're, it's, it's over. It's done. And then, and then each of us is going to come face to face with the reality of this question. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And the answer is the same for you and the same for me and the same for this guy in this parable. Somebody else. That's just life. That some, it, it, there will become a time where you will, you will die and whatever you gain for yourself, somebody else will get. Even, catch this, even if you were trying making really making sure they didn't get it. You, you know, like you're not giving your kids these things that you're know, like, those are my things. Guess what? Your kids are going to sort through all of that stuff and take what they want from it. Because that's how life works. Somebody else gets it. And in this, in this case, somebody else got his stuff, not because he was generous, but because he was dead. And that's life. Let's pray. You know, like, amen. You know, like this is just, see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. You, your cars, your house, your furniture, your trinkets, your money, all of that, whatever's left after you're dead and gone, somebody else will get. And here's what else will happen. This is just how it works. As they're sorting through their, your stuff, they're going to assess how did you live your life? There's just naturally, it's not on purpose, they're not doing it judgmentally. It's just kind of what happens. As they look through your stuff and like, yeah, mom and dad, they really just, they, this was really important to them. And they kept all this stuff and I'm not sure why. And there'll be assessment on that. And then Jesus says this. This is how it will be, verse 21. 
Jesus is making a point here. He's saying, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves. For those who assume that everything is theirs to consume, this is the end. This is how it ends. And at the end, this guy, Jesus is trying, it's a parable, he made up the story, he's trying to make a very clear point, he's trying to put things really into focus, like here's a guy who worked hard, had a lot of stuff, and it's just as he's about to enjoy it, kicks the bucket, he's done. And so he's, like, he's saying, this is how it will be, whether you die tomorrow, whether you die 20 years from now, this is how it will be if you spend your life storing up things for yourself. It will feel like a total loss. It will feel like this hollow, like this, this hollow life, like something's missing, like, oh my goodness, I was planning and then all of a sudden this, this, I was just all taken away. I worked really, it'll feel like you worked really hard for something ultimately to have somebody else enjoy it. It will feel futile. And here's another thing that I want to make sure that this, we see in this parable. It might feel very lonely. This is, this is one of the most fascinating parables of Jesus for me because this dude is all alone through the whole parable. Did you catch that? There is no other characters in this. That's why he has to talk to himself the whole time. He's, it's like, what should I do? I don't know, self. What should you do? Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll build a barn. And it's like, it's funny, but it's also kind of sad too. Because here's a guy who's all alone. And, and here's the thing. The, uh, it's common in, in Jesus' parables, it's really common for there to be a rich man in his parables. You've seen them, right? As you've read them, if you've read the Bible, you've seen those. And a lot of times that rich man is throwing a party, he's throwing a banquet, he's having people over. No parties in this parable. No banquets. No people. Just him, himself, and I. Just, yeah, him talking to himself, enjoying his own wealth and, and see it, it's, it's lonely existence and I think the assumption consumption this idea that everything is for me ends up lonely sometimes and that's why God comes in he's like no 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 you fool like I know you feel good about it. you're like you, like in some of the things you did there, there's good business moves like it's smart it was also really dumb it's not a good use of your stuff and see, we've all seen this parable. We've seen this play out in real time. See, we've, we've watched people die. If you packed up your parents' stuff, and, and again, you're making that assessment. And we, we've watched people die. We've watched, we packed up boxes for non-generous people. And they're like, man, they work really hard to keep all this stuff. And what for what? We, and here's a different way that we've seen it, but we've all seen people, in a sense, almost sell their soul to a career, 10, 20 years, just chasing, chasing, climbing the ladder, only to, like, you know, 20 years into it, get fired and lose all, just be stripped of all of that position. And guess what? The, the, the company still moves on as if they never were there. And they're left, and they're like, and they miss their kids, they miss their family. You know, like, we've seen that story, and we pity that story. We've seen this parable. We've seen, we've witnessed somebody who's so greedy about the stuff that they have that it isolates them from other people around you. Because if you make it all about yourself, you really don't leave room for others. Right? That's just life. 
Jesus is playing on that in this parable. He says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves. And then he says this, but are not rich towards God. This is a three-word phrase, rich toward God. It's found nowhere else in the Bible. And it's like, you're like, man, what does it mean to be rich toward God? And, and Jesus, like he did last week in our parable, he just moves right back, right on. He's like, and this is what it'll be for those who are rich towards God. So don't worry. Let me tell you about the sparrows. There's just some sparrows. Like, you don't have to worry about it because God is a sparrow. They're like, oh, Jesus, come on, come on, come on. But what does it mean to be rich towards God at any time? Listen, listen, listen. This is important. Because when you read the New Testament, this may be why, why you, you, you've shied away from reading your Bibles in the past because you're reading like, I don't know what that means. And this is Jesus' way. This is him doing it 2,000 years ago he was doing this. And he's doing it now with you. This is genius. It, it, when you read the Bible, you're like, I'm not sure what that means. Especially when it comes to what, just, if you don't like the Bible, just read the red letter portion of the Bible. Read Jesus because it's fascinating. And there's going to be times where you don't get it. And you're like, I don't know what that means. And you know what Jesus is saying to you? Figure it out. I want you to chew on this. Wait, wait, Jesus, you didn't tell us what it means to be rich towards God. I know. But because here's the thing. He might not have told us what it means to be rich towards God, but he very clearly gave us the next best thing. He very clearly spelled out what it means to not be rich towards God, right? With this guy. In fact, in fact, you might, if I'd asked you before the service today, like, what does it mean to be rich towards God? You'd be like, man, I don't know. But here's the thing. You can answer this question right now. Like, honestly, to be rich, the, uh, the opposite of being rich towards God is to be rich towards what? Yourself. Yeah. It's that simple. He's like, this is what it means. This is what will happen to anybody who's... Who does, who, what is it? This is what will happen when restores up things to himself, but they are not rich towards God. And, and I'm not going to tell you what that is, but here's what the opposite is. It's that guy. I just told you. I just showed you what it means to not be rich towards God. And so Jesus is saying, it's pretty clear. Honestly, the, like, like I, I, the opposite of being rich towards God is to be rich towards yourself, to believe the assumption that it's all for my consumption. And honestly, this will take you to where you don't want to be. But there's a better way. And it's called generosity. There's a better way, because I think honestly we, we could say that this, what, really what this parable about is the best way to be rich towards God is to be rich towards others. I think, I think Jesus is not explicitly saying that here, but it's implied that the best way to be rich towards God, you want to be rich towards God? Be generous towards others. You want to avoid that hollow feeling in life where you get to the end of your life and you're like, oh, dang it. Take, take, uh, take your riches and aim them at other people instead of yourself. Take your wealth, take your time, take your creativity, and make sure that you're not the only one getting it. Be very much on purpose. Aim that at other people and you will be rich towards God. And guess what? As you do it, it will feel crazy. Because it's yours, right? I mean, come on. Like, like everything around us screams. Like, like, like you, you, the American Dream is a, uh, is, is a Corona commercial. 
Like the, the, the beach with two chairs and a, you know, like, well, it's one chair maybe, but one chair and an umbrella, and you're like, hey, this is, your, this is life. Well done. Take it easy. Enjoy life. But you can miss it. See, here's, to be generous is to assume that it's not all ours to consume. That's all it means to be generous. It's just to assume this is not all mine. Just because it comes to me doesn't mean it's for me. Of course, and listen, listen, listen. When I talk about this kind of stuff, obviously I don't mean you can't have any of your stuff and you can't take pride in your possessions. I'm not talking about any of that. Take care of your stuff. Like that's part of being of doing this well. Being gener generous is being wise and being a good steward, right? And of course, some of the stuff that comes to you, you're going to need. And it is for you. That's God being generous to you. And we should appreciate that and be grateful for it. But to be a generous person means that just because something comes to me doesn't mean it's all for me. And honestly, the most generous people are the ones who organize their lives around this idea. It, 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 we'll, we'll talk about this in the weeks to come. But generosity doesn't happen on accident. It doesn't happen spontaneously. To be a generous person means that you organize our lives and we're very, very purposeful about what has been given to us and what we can give to others. And I'm excited to talk about that next time. We're going to talk about how to be generous. But here's the thing. Even if you're not a religious person, even if you're not, you would consider yourself a Jesus follower, or even, even if you know, like this whole idea of being rich towards God is not something like, I, I don't know if that's something I want to be. Honestly, I beg you, grow in generosity. Come with us through this series and grow in generosity because learning to be generous is the one thing that crushes the consumption assumption. Being generous is the only way that we get out of that. Generosity assures that you don't miss out on the stuff of life while you're getting a bunch of stuff in life. So even if you're not a church person, you're not religious, I would say please come and learn to be generous and continue to be generous with us. But listen, if you are a Jesus follower, you don't have a choice. And not just because of this parable. Like, like this parable makes it pretty clear, like this is the kind of life I don't want you to live. God has a very, very definitive view on, on this type of assumption. It's foolish. It's crazy. But he's saying, he, listen, you, you don't have a choice. If you're a Jesus follower, it, we, we should be generous, not just because of this parable, but because at the heart of everything we believe is a generous God. Honestly, at the heart of, of what we believe is a God who gives. A God who is constantly giving to us. I mean, think about it this way. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. But this, is, this is the God who created the universe. This incredible universe. And then handed it to us and said, enjoy. <laughs> this is a God who, out of, in, out of generosity, created springtime and wildflowers and baby elk. That's what we're going to be enjoying in the next couple weeks because of God's generosity. This is, this is the God who, who when he, uh, thousands of years ago, pulled a guy aside named Abram, who would become Abraham. I said, listen, Abram, I'm choosing you. And we're not really sure why he chose Abram. Like, it just it seemed kind of random, but he picks this guy and he says, listen, listen, I want you. 
I'm going to bless you. I'm going to, he's like, Abraham, look at the stars. If you can count those stars, you can count how many children, how many descendants you're going to have. And listen, here we are. That's like four, it's literally 4,000 years ago, and we're talking about this guy. Because one day, on a random Wednesday or whatever, God pulled him aside and said, I'm going to bless you. But Abram, Abram, I want you to be a blessing. I'm going to bless you, and through all other nations are going to be blessed. I'm blessing you, Abram, to be a blessing. I'm generous to you so that you can be generous. I'm going to make you rich so that you can be rich towards others. Fast forward hundreds of years. And you get to the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah is a prophet to the, to the nation Israel, to, to Abraham's descendants. It's, you know, like a thousand years later. And, he, he, and the problem at the time was Israel was, was living. They're like, yeah, we're, we're godly. We're, we, we're tight with you, God. We want to do life with you, God. And, and, and God's like, um, yeah, but here's the thing. It says this. They say, we fast, we pray, we go, to, we go to the temple. What more do you want from us? And, G and God replies back to Israel. He says this. Is, is not this the kind of fasting that I have chosen? Okay, so you want to follow me. This is what it should look like. When you fast, you should loose the chains of injustice. You should untie the, the cords of the yoke and set the oppressed free and break every yoke. You, God's saying, listen, listen, listen. You want to know what my what it means to be religious? You want to know what it means to be like me, to be you know, like you're my people? Injustice should be broken now. Because of your generosity, people should become free because of your of your religion. Is it not to share food? Like, like if you're fasting, isn't the purpose of fasting is you stop eating so that you can share food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter to bring him in? When you see the naked, to clothe them and to not turn away your own flesh and blood? In other words, is it not like, shouldn't you be generous? I want you to be generous like me. See, this is part of what it means to be a God follower. Fast forward another couple hundred years. And Jesus comes on the scene. This is a verse that everybody knows. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He what? Gave. That He gave. Out of His generosity, He gave His Son. He gave His one and only Son that whoever should believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, listen, listen, listen. God did what people who are in love do. They give. They're generous with their time, with their, their money, with their resources, with themselves. And that's what God did. He saw our broken state and said, I'm not going to leave there. I love you too much, so I will come down and I'm going to give my life to you. I will give my life so that you can have life. At the very core, the center, the message of what we believe if you're a Christian. Is generosity. I'm willing to give my son for you. And then he did. He, he, he died on the cross. He was willing to pour out himself for us. And the, the followers didn't know what to make of that. Uh, a couple days later, he dies, but a couple days later, he raises from the dead and blows their minds and trying to figure that out. And then years go by, and this is so cool, like, like in the book of Acts, there's this group of people, 
who literally, it says that, that they grew really, really fast, right in the beginning of, of the movement of Christianity. It wasn't called Christianity. They didn't even know what to call it at that point in time. This, this movement's rolling, and there's thousands of people. And amidst that is, is this phrase, and, no, and, and they all sold their possessions, and each of them gave what they had, and, no, and nobody had need. They didn't do that because Jesus said, when you, when you have church, everybody sell your possession. Like, like, there's no verse that says to do that. They just did that out of what? Their generosity and love for one another. They, they, they were generous. And that was, a, that was a keystone part of who they were. And that's what drew people in, was their generosity. James 1.27 says this. Religion... This is, this is James, the brother of Jesus, uh, decades later would write this. He said, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless. He's like, you want to know what it really means to be a Christian? He says this, go to church and pray a lot. Are you paying attention? It doesn't say that. It says to look after the orphans and the widows and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Yeah, of course, James would say, you need, there's some moral things. You, you should remain morally upright. Don't be polluted by the world. But really, if, you're, if your religion's worth a darn, you should be feeding people. You should be bringing in people who are in distress. You should be caring for the orphans and the widows. Listen, man. the best way to be rich towards God is to be rich towards God others. That is just kind of, I could, I could go on for hours talking about all of the instances that talk about how generous God is, how generous he is to us. Oh my goodness, what he's given us. And yeah, we'd always, we'd like more. We, we, there sometimes we're like, don't, I wish I had what they had. If that's the case, go listen to the sermon from last week, the comparison trap. But listen, listen, listen. At the heart of it is a generous father. He's given us a lot. And at the end, He's saying, come be rich like me. Come be rich towards me. Come be crazy like me. Live a generous life. And if you are a follower of Jesus, this is what I want for you. This is what I want for me. And this is what I want for us. For us as a church, I want, I have an agenda, honestly, through this. I do have an agenda. And it's not to get your money. It's, God, it's so much, so far beyond money. Like, it, my agenda is, is, is for us to grow in generosity as individuals so that we can grow in generosity as a church. So that we, as Colorado Life Church, we would be known as a generous group of people. Because here's the, here's the deal. We'll be criticized for what we believe about Jesus, about God, about life. There will be some who will say that. I don't believe that. We'll be criticized for that. But here's the thing. We should, while being criticized, we should be famous for our generosity. We should be famous for our compassion. And, and here's a couple images that I want us to think about. Like, like I want, our goal, if, this has been our goal from the beginning. This isn't a new thing. This isn't like Josh was just sitting and you know, had too many Doritos while he's sitting at the, the office today, this week. Honestly, like this has been from the very get-go, is we want to be known for something in community. 
in this community. We want, we want people to, when they think of Colorado Life Church, they don't think of a church or a church building. They think of a distribution center. <laughs> Can you imagine if people outside of us said, man, I don't, know, I don't know if I believe what they believe, but if you want to talk to some people who are getting some things done and caring for our town and caring for our metro area and caring for the globe, you should go talk to those guys. Because they, you know, whatever they take, they're generous with what they have and they just send it out. We don't want to be a vault. A vault has one door, things come in, and they stay there. A lot of churches do that. We want to be a distribution center. We want to be constantly, yeah, yes, gathering up goods, gathering up your generosity. We want to be, see, by just distribution center, I mean, I want us to be a hub for generous people. That generous people can come to us. They can pour their heart. They can pour their lives. They can open up their checkbooks. They can write checks. And they can be generous with, another, with a group of people. And because they're doing it together, there's this multiplicity. There's this ridiculous windfall that happen, effect that happens as we pour out on the people around us. That's what it means to, for us. That's what it, we, we, want, we want to train you in generosity and then give you a chance to be generous. We want you to be rich towards God, which means being rich towards others. That's our dream. That's what we can't wait for. And in the weeks to come, this is going to be so cool. Like, like I can't wait. Honestly, I, 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 part of me just wants to scrap the rest of this sermon. I don't have much, that much left. Don't worry. But like, I, I want to scrap the sermon and preach what I've been preaching in, in a couple weeks because we're going to talk about our causes as a church. We're going to talk about the things that we are going to get behind. We're going to ask you to join us in praying for it. Honestly, if you, this is your home church, start praying now because these next few weeks are really important for us as a church. We're going to look back to this time and say that was the time when we were pioneering what, God, what it meant to be generous as a church. It's going to be so good. There's another image that I want us to think about. And honestly, some of us grew up in the church experience that was not generous. And because of that, because it was stingy, because it was rigid, because it was difficult, we left. Or we know people who left. And this is why, you know us, if you know us, our heart, our heartbeat is for the person who doesn't go to church. And we believe, honestly, that if we, if we can do this, if we can be a distribution center, that honestly people might actually think about church and they might change their mind about church because of what we do. And so it's an important part of putting the bottom rungs on the ladder for us as a church. But listen, listen, listen. There's this image. A few years back, like about 10 years ago, there was a group of us that, that talked about this from time to time. That saw Evergreen this way. There's, a, there's an event that happens every year that's about going to happen in the next couple of, of weeks. Um, if you're familiar with, with mountains and how mountains work. It's called runoff, spring runoff. It's where all of the snow that's been collecting all winter long, it's snowfall after snowfall after snowfall. It gets warm enough in the high country that it begins to thaw and it begins to melt. And, and I was just talking to somebody this week, we got snow this week, of course May, you know, that's when we get snow. Not January, ever, but like May for sure. And, and we were talking about how much we love it because it means, it means we're going to be able to have campfires this summer. And things are going to be greener because of what we're getting in the high country. That's kind of how it works in the mountains, right? A, a group of us got this image about 10 years ago of like, what if Evergreen could be like that? What, we're, we're a blessed community. What if we were able to, to take that wealth, take what's been given to us, and, and break some of that loose, and, and thaw it, and, and let it melt, 
And what if Evergreen could go and water the plains, like Mount Evans is going to do here in a couple weeks? What if we can make a runoff effect as a church? I love that. I want us to step into that. We can do that. You can be a part. And in the next few weeks, we're going to discuss how. It's going to be fun. It's going to be good. See, what if you, personally, grew in generosity in such a way that you made sure you didn't miss out on the stuff of life while you're getting some stuff in life? What if through generosity you just made sure that those things were put into place? What would that mean for you personally? What would that mean for your family, for your kids? It would be good. And what would it be? What if we, as generous individuals, when we came together, pooled our generosity and were able to do amazing things? Ah, oh, let's do it. If you're listening to this, consider this an invitation. Not, not to give to us, but to be generous with us. To be crazy like us. Let's pray. God, I thank you. Um, I thank you for these people. I thank you for this place. We want to be, we, we, Lord, my prayer for us this morning is that we would be able to see ourselves the way that you see us. That we'd be able to see the things that we have, the talents, the resources that we have, the time, the way that you see them. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a group of, of people who grow in generosity. I pray that, that in, over these next couple songs that we sing, that in some sense we'd be able to offer up what we have to you. Uh, that, that we would be able to, to maybe, maybe for some of us, that we'd be able to loosen our grip just a little bit on the things that we've ha we have because we see them differently. We see them as an opportunity to be generous. Protect our hearts, Lord. Protect our, protect our kids. Help us to raise them right in this way. Help us not to be taken by things that in the end don't really matter. But instead, Lord, use these things that we have for your glory and for your honor, for evergreen, for the world. Amen.